Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. If you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 28. You can follow along with me in the Bible that you brought from your house. You can follow along with me in your smart Bible that's on your phone, the pew Bible that's in front of you, and it's been copied and printed for you in your bulletin if you would like to follow along. It's there for you, and we'd love for you to follow along if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer. It's great to have you with us. Uh, My name's Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here, and we're glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. Uh, For instance, you could be trying to find your tie uh, that you forgot, uh, and uh, or uh, you could be um, uh, at home uh, drinking champagne uh, or out on the Champs-Élysées drinking champagne to celebrate the end of the Tour de France. You could be at home watching the finale of Loki, or you could be, I don't know, launching water balloons at your neighbors because they're driving you crazy. My neighbors are great, but, or your siblings, your brother and sister. But you're not doing those things, you're here, and I do want to thank you for coming. And the reality is this, there's nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and to consider his claims upon our life and the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning and welcome you to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? It's a great question. Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God. And we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, uh, we gather together uh, to worship him so that we might learn to rest in that love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And so we love to watch the Tour de France together. We love to watch uh, EPL soccer together. We're going to love watching the Olympics together. But we really love reading the Bible and praying together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love, and then as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service, so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world, right? That's who we are. People are trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that this summer, we've been going through the book of Daniel, And we've wanted to do this because the book of Daniel is just filled with these great stories of these young men and women who have been taken from a world that they know and this world that's familiar familiar to them. And they've been brought into this different world, and yet God remains the same. Right? They've been brought into this different world, and yet God remains the same. And so we've looked at all these different things. We've studied this idea of a different world. We've talked about a different way of knowing, a different kingdom, a different allegiance, a different praise, a different feast. 
And this week, what I want us to consider is that in Christ, we have a different deliverer, right? We have a different deliverer. So with that in mind, let's look together. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 28. It's a long passage, so snuggle up with someone you love or a visitor. Uh, (laughs) Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Then Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then he came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. 
Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who were maliciously accused, who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations, peoples, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the Lord, before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Uh, The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching of it? Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, for this, uh, your kind word to us, uh, that you are a God not hidden or silent, but one who delights to reveal himself. So it really is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you would attend unto us to teach us lovely things of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I was talking on the phone with one of my good friends, and we were discussing the books that we're reading. And he told me that he was reading a book about the catacombs in Rome, and I thought, blah blah blah, boring. Uh, but uh, but as he as he kept talking, it was it was also really interesting because the first Christian art is actually found in the catacombs. And I think that's kind of amazing that the first Christian art is found in the catacombs. And it's interesting that Christians would decorate their graves and they would paint the walls of their tombs. And that's fascinating to me because you would think that the catacombs would just be dark and that they would be painted with black and there'd be you know, skulls and crossbones painted on the wall and, and maybe crosses would be painted everywhere. But the fact of the matter is that crosses didn't appear in the catacombs until at least the fifth century. Uh, presumably because the Romans thought the cross was so repulsive and it was this symbol of death. And Christians do not mark their graves uh, with death. They mark their lives and their graves uh, with the hope of resurrection. In fact, uh, you know, the, the catacombs were painted white to give a brightness And on the catacombs, there are all these images of of plants and flowers and birds, which would have been um, allusions back to the Garden of Eden and hope of the paradise uh, to which we will go. But even more fascinating than that is the fact that uh, on the catacomb walls, there are all these pictures, Bible stories. And they're Bible stories painted throughout the catacombs, stories like Jonah 
and Noah, uh, stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, which we looked at earlier in the book of Daniel. And one of the most common images throughout the catacombs is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so what do all these stories then have in common? All these stories have one thing in common, and it's this, that God delivers his people. That God delivers his people. And I think that this is so lovely that the early Christians would mark their graves not with death and fear and lament, but they would mark their graves with the hope of a God who delivers his people. With a hope that, that God actually delivers his people from all of his and their enemies, even the final enemy of death. And if the early Christians understood the story of Daniel and the lion's den to be a story of a God who delivers, I think we should too. And so here's the point this morning. Uh, God is our deliverer, all right? God is our deliverer. Would you say that with me? God is our deliverer. And I think we all know that we all need to be delivered from something. And the question is, will God deliver us or have we been left to ourselves to deliver ourselves? And in our passage, what we see is that the satraps and the presidents are seeking to deliver themselves uh, from having to answer to Daniel. You see, the satraps and the presidents, they had seen their positions of power as the thing that gave them life. And as they start to lose their power, that becomes death to them. And so they need to be delivered from the death of losing power to the life that they could have if they could just defeat Daniel. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set over him the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. And so what's going on here is that the satraps and the presidents are literally losing control, right? The satraps were like governors over a region, and then they would have to give an account to the regional presidents. And so, like on the office, they were assistants to the regional president. And then, uh, and then, what, and then King Darius, right, he recognizes that Daniel is uh, trustworthy, that Daniel is honest, that his kingdom would be in good hands, in Daniel's hands. And so, he then places the entire kingdom in Daniel's hands, and the satraps and the presidents cannot handle it because they're losing control. And out of envy or out of fear, uh, they set out to destroy Daniel. Maybe they had been skimming off the top and laundering money for a while. Uh, and now that Daniel, who we know is clean, Daniel who verse 4 tells us, against whom no complaint could stick, no error could be found. This Daniel who was faithful and trustworthy and honest is now put in charge over all things. And everyone must give an account to him. But the satraps and the presidents, they're losing control. They don't like it. And of course, this would be personal, right? Because they would see themselves as, as losing control. I mean, when you're in power, to have some power is nice. But when you really love power, you've got to have all power. And they were losing that power. 
And they didn't want to have to answer to anyone, uh, and they especially didn't want to answer to Daniel. Uh, later on in the passage, there's sort of a slight, it looks like in verse 13, where they talk about how he's an exile, he's a Jewish exile. And they didn't want to have to answer to this Jewish exile, because to answer to someone who was culturally beneath them or from a different race, different community, would be below their stature. And so they're bothered by this. And so they want to regain control, right? They want to take back over. And often the way we seek to deliver ourselves from the loss of control or from disappointments, the way we try to regain control is we make up rules, right? We make up laws that everyone else has to follow. And I think oftentimes we're like children in the pool who are playing tips or children who are on the playground playing four square. Whenever you get knocked out, you go, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not fair, right? You've seen the children do that. And you said, you said, you can't serve that way, right? You can't hit the ball that way. One hand, not two hands, no spin, king's rules, right? All those sorts of things. Set up all these rules. Uh, and, and you do that to try to get your way. And so often we think that deliverance will come from a new set of rules or a new set of laws. And that's what the satraps and the presidents are doing. Verse 5, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. And then he just repeats injunctions and laws over and over again. Verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. Right? Verse 8 speaks again about this injunction. Verse 9 speaks again about the signing of the injunction. Verse 10 speaks about a document or the law. Verse 12 speaks again about the injunction. Verse 13 speaks about the injunction. Verse 15 speaks about the laws and the injunction and the ordinances. And here's the point. They're trying to regain control through litigation. They're creating laws to control the world and to control other people. And we do the same things, especially as our culture is changing. We create these new laws to put on the books and we, and we, and we enforce them on the Facebooks. And traditionalists and uh, the conservatives, uh, we often bristle against the new laws and new rules of our culture because we feel like we're, trying, we're being controlled by them. And we feel like we're being deconstructed by them. And then the progressives among us, we're like, well, we need new laws. We, we need to control. We need to change the way people think and act and talk and live. But both of us are doing these things. We're looking to the laws, right, to sort of protect our way of life and to sort of shape the world to be what we think the world ought to be. And even in the church, I mean, is it not easier for us to deal with one another through rules and through litigation uh, rather than actually dealing with the problems that exist between us? And we think that if we could just get the right rule, if we get the right law, then we'd be delivered. And so we want these rules to shape the world for us. Uh, But the human heart, if it tells us anything, tells us this. Rules were made to be broken by me. (laughs) That's what my heart says. Great rule, I can break it. Uh, And so often we're using these rules, using these laws to control other people, not to love other people. And Daniel wants us to see here that the rules are never going to deliver us. In fact, the rules are often used to condemn us. That's what they're doing. They're using the laws, they're using the rules, not for love, but for condemnation. And so here's the point. God is our deliverer. 
God is actually our deliverer. God is our deliverer. Would you say that with me? God is our deliverer. And so they set up this law that says, hey, everybody, uh, let's not pray to any God. <laughs> let's not pray to any man except Darius. So for 30 days, we'll pray to Darius. Now, if you think about this rule, let's be honest about it. They probably weren't going to pray anyway. <laughs> I mean, these don't seem like praying people. And uh, so they're setting up these laws that they can keep. But they're setting up laws that they know Daniel can't follow. And I think we do this too. We love the laws that we like. And we elevate the rules that we want to keep. And then we reject those that we don't care about. And then what we want is grace for people who struggle like us. And we want judgment for people who struggle like them. And sometimes then we take these rules and we use them to manipulate other people to get what we want from them. That's what they're doing. Look at how they approach Darius, verse 6. O king, live forever. I mean, you can not only hear, but as you read it, you can probably see the flattery dripping from their words. We love you, Darius. We could not live without you, Darius. You're the best. May you live forever, Darius. You're a god, Darius. Right? That's what they're saying. And they're saying, Darius, for 30 days, you will be the mediator between heaven and earth. You will be the mediator and everyone on earth, they must come to you. They must offer their, their, their prayers to you, their dreams to you, their desires to you. And if they don't do that, then they must die. And you can imagine being the new king. You're like, yeah, I like this. Let's, let's establish my kingdom. Let's have everybody pray to me. Uh, but we know, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not hard to read this passage and know that they really don't care about Darius. They're just using him to advance themselves. And foolishly, Darius buys into it. He's like, I love the idea. I'll sign. Where do I sign? You know? And now Daniel is faced with this dilemma. Daniel is faced with this dilemma. Will I deliver myself and not pray? Or uh, will I risk my life and pray to the God who delivers? And if your safety in this world is the chief end of your life, right, then it seems like a pretty easy answer. It's just 30 days. I mean, many of us probably haven't prayed in 30 days. I mean, if we're honest. And uh, I mean, I, we prayed earlier in the service. So that, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I'll just pray in my mind. I don't, nobody has to see these sorts of things. But if safety is our goal in life, then Dan Daniel wouldn't have prayed. But what Daniel knows is something I think many of us don't know, and it's this. There is no safety in this world apart from God. There is no safety in this world apart from God. And this is what Daniel knew, and this is what the apostles knew in Acts chapter 5. You'll remember, they, they're going around, they're talking about Jesus, and the authorities say, hey guys, let's just not talk about Jesus anymore. Let's just kind of go about our business. Let's not talk about him. And they say what? It is better to obey God than man. And Daniel and the apostles both knew that they would rather die than turn away from God. And so Daniel, verse 10, he goes up to his house where he has his windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And I love this because the laws of the land aren't changing the way Daniel engages his God. 
And when Daniel is faced with certain death, what does Daniel do? He turns to the God who delivers. And what I hope you recognize here is the point of these prayers is not to tell us why God delivered Daniel. The point of the prayers is to teach us that it is God who actually delivers us. And this is a really big deal because God doesn't deliver us because we pray. We pray to God because he's the one who delivers. Right? God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. Would you say that with me? God is our deliverer. And Darius isn't. And this is what is so interesting about Daniel. He doesn't run to his friend Darius, who is all powerful, to deliver him. He continues to go to the God who delivers. And I think he does this because he knows that life is only found in God. I mean, this is what Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 17. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, what? We'll find it or we'll keep it. And so whether he lives or he dies, what Daniel knows is that life is only found in God. And that knowledge of God, that having been delivered, right, to God, is what affects then how he lives. Verse 3, Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Verse 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And so what we're supposed to see here is that Daniel was different. There was something about Daniel that was different. And he was different because Daniel was no longer living for himself. He was living for God. And so the satraps and the presidents, they were using Darius and they were using the kingdom for their own gain. All the while Daniel, because he knew that he was safe and had life in God, was willing to serve. You see, Daniel could give his life for his pagan neighbor, and not only for a pagan neighbor, but he could give his life and service to his oppressor because he already had life in God. Daniel wasn't trying to find life in this world. God had already given him life in him. And I think that this is important because one of the most common misconceptions or misinterpretations of this passage is that God delivered Daniel because Daniel was good. But that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that God is the one who delivers. And that God had already delivered Daniel from the seduction of the world. God had already delivered Daniel uh, from looking to money and prestige and popularity and power to deliver him. And because Daniel had already been delivered by God, he was now freed up to serve and give his life in service to Darius and give his life in obedience to the one who's given him life. And so here's the point. God is our deliverer, right? God is our deliverer. Would you say that with me? God is our deliverer. And Darius loved Daniel. Daniel was probably one of the first men who uh, didn't treat Darius as someone, as a means to an end. Everybody else was looking to Darius so that they could get ahead. Daniel looked to Darius to serve him. I've alluded to an article before uh, on Justin Bieber, so I'm going to quote a different part of that uh, article. But in this article, Justin Bieber's talking about the difficulties of his life and how at the bottom he met God. And he met God primarily through the ministry of this pastor named Judah Smith. And the article says this, Bieber meets a lot of people. Uh, most of them want something from him. Years went by as Bieber did whatever he was doing, and Smith remained in his life, if not particularly close. 
When Bieber finally began to emerge from his bad years and to seek guidance, Smith was still there. And Bieber noticed that in retrospect, Smith had never asked him for anything. He put their relationship first. Isn't that lovely? And I would think that Darius saw in Daniel a man who didn't want anything from him because he had already had everything in Christ. And even though Darius had been tricked into sending Daniel uh, to the lions, he was undone by it. And as you read the passage, you can see him freaking out about it. Verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. But he can't do it. Verse 16, the king says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Verse 18, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Verse 19, at break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he got there, cried out, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And what you see in this is that Darius obviously loved Daniel because Daniel had loved him. But even though he loved Daniel, Darius was unable to, or he would not save Daniel. I mean, this is kind of amazing to me because Darius at the time would have been the most powerful man in the world. And he signed the law that actually sent Daniel to death. And he says, even though I'm powerful, I cannot save you and I won't save you. But your God can. And if you look closely at the text, you'll, you'll see this in verse 14, 16, 20, and 27. There's this repetition of the word deliver. And by repeating this word deliver over and over again, it brings up this question, who will deliver? And the answer is God will deliver. God will deliver. You see, when Darius was faced with like saving face or saving his friend, he saved face. Christians, we need to take this to heart because we, uh, the history of especially evangelicalism, and I would say probably Christianity in general, we have this long history of wanting to snuggle up with the positions of power. We have a long history of wanting to be near the seats of power because we think that the seats of power will actually save us. We think the seats of power are actually what will save our nation. We think they're what will save our children. We think that they're what will save our way of life. But the testimony of history, and I would say the testimony of the Bible, is that they can't and they won't. When Darius was confronted with saving Daniel or saving his face, he saved his face. Even though he truly loved Daniel. And even though Daniel got to sit in the highest seats of power, he could not save him. And this just serves to highlight the fact that God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. Would you say that with me? God is our deliverer. And this is why Darius then responds when Daniel climbs out of the den at the end. He doesn't say, Daniel, you're the man. He doesn't say, everybody should be like Daniel. What does he say? He begins to praise God. You see this in verse 26 and 27. For he is the living God. Yahweh is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And what we see here is this beautiful thing that that Darius wants the world to know that it is God who is the deliverer. 
He can't even deliver. Only God can deliver. And throughout Christian history, uh, Christians have displayed this on their graves. That God is the one who delivers. And throughout history, Christians have always seen Daniel as a reminder and as a forerunner of Christ Jesus, who is God, the one who delivers us from sin and death. And over and over, you see Christians, when they read the story of Daniel and the lion's den, they point out all of these connections, all these similarities between Daniel and between Jesus. So Daniel, like Jesus, was faithful to God, above reproach, without fault, and no error was found in him. Right, Daniel, like Jesus, uh, had rulers and leaders conspiring to kill him because they didn't want to lose their places of power in the culture. Daniel, like Jesus, was one who was declared guilty by an unjust law. And just as Darius, the king, tried to deliver and save Daniel but couldn't, Pilate wanted to deliver Jesus but didn't. And Daniel, like Jesus, prayed in the face of death, went up to his room and prayed as the authorities came. Jesus went to the garden and prayed as the authorities came. Daniel, like Jesus, descended into the pit of death and a stone was placed over the pit. Jesus was placed in the tomb and a stone was rolled over his grave. And both Daniel and Jesus, they had people who loved them, who were concerned for them, and they ran to the tombs early in the morning, expecting to find death, but rejoicing when they found life. And then Daniel, risen from the grave, prospers, it says at the end of the passage, to be a blessing to Darius and to be a blessing to Cyrus. Jesus, the one who died and rose on our behalf, to be a blessing to the world. So that all the world, not, not limited to Darius, not limited to Cyrus, but throughout all time for eternity, the one who will be a blessing to all. And that's what we see here at this table, that God is our deliverer, because as we come to this table, spread on this table is nothing but Jesus and uh, hand sanitizer. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, you know, um, the body and blood of Jesus. That our God would enter into this world, become flesh, and die for us. That he would give himself so that we might live. His body broken, his blood poured out, and then he invites us to come and say, this is where life is found. Come and feast upon me. I'm the one who died and has risen, and all who come to me and feed upon me, you too, though you die, you will rise. Because I'm the one who will deliver you that you might prosper, and that I will be a blessing to all the world. So he invites you to come and feast because God is our deliverer. One last time, would you say that with me? God, God is, is our, our deliverer. deliverer. Therefore, I invite you to rise and to lift up your